Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Saturday the 21st of February 2015, entitled Man After God's Own Heart. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here's Brother Dave Kistler. Let me tell you a little bit about Emmanuel. I don't know exactly what happened to him, but I know that either at birth or shortly after birth, something happened and Emmanuel was not mentally there 100%. Now, I never felt comfortable asking him anything about it. He never shared anything with me. But I will tell you this, everybody in our church and in our Christian school, we had a Christian school of about 800 students. Everyone loved Emmanuel Jones. Now, Emmanuel was not a big kid. He was not a big guy at all. Uh, he couldn't be on the football team and actually play. So what the what the guys did on the football team is they made him the manager of the football team. He'd keep the water bottles filled up, and I'm talking about football, American, American brand of football. And he'd keep the water bottles filled up. Anything the coaches needed, he would help out with that. And uh, Emmanuel loved the Lord with all of his heart. He wanted to preach. Now, what, what I did in our school there and in our youth department, uh, I had a class that I taught. It was the Bible class for all the guys that wanted to be involved in this. Basically, I taught them how to preach the Word of God, how to prepare sermons, and then we got them up in class and they'd preach to each other. And then one chapel a year or two would have the guys preach in chapel to all the other kids in the school. And Emmanuel wanted so much to be a part of that. He wanted to learn how to preach. And so uh, he came by my office one day and uh, he said, Mr. Well, he didn't say Mr. Kistler. I'm just going to say it the way he said it. He proceeded just about every sentence that he used with these two words, yo, yeah. Yo, yeah. So he'd come up and go, yo, yeah, Mr. Kistler, how's it going? That's exactly what he do. And I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you the way he talked. I love Emmanuel with all my heart. But he walked by my office one day and he said, yo, yeah, Mr. Kistler. He said, I want to learn how to preach. And I said, well, Emmanuel, that's great. I'd love to help you with that. I said, have you decided on a passage you want to preach on? And he looked at me and he hadn't even thought that far. He didn't know, you know, you got to have a passage of scripture to go to. So I said, hey, here's the deal, Emmanuel. How about you go on back to your next class and why don't you prepare for a week? And one week from now, this same time you come by my office and you have the passage picked out. We'll work on the sermon. Is that fair enough? He said, yo, yeah, Mr. Kistler, that'll be great. And I said, okay, I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. Well, a week passed. He comes right to my door right on time. And I said, Emmanuel, have you found your verse? He said, yo, yeah, Mr. Kistler, I sure have. I said, what is it? He said, well, it's Psalm 101, verse 3. Now, I knew what Psalm 101, verse 3 said, but I wanted to know if Emmanuel knew it. So I said, Emmanuel, what does Psalm 101, verse 3 say? And here's the way he quoted. He said, it says, I will set no wicked thing before my very eye. Now, if you look up Psalm 101, verse 3, the word very is not in there, but he added it, okay, for emphasis. I will set no wicked thing before my very eye. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. I said, okay, Manuel, we're going to work on a message on the topic of wickedness. So we started studying all the times the word wicked, wickedness, wickedly, all the different variations of the word is used in the Bible. And as we're working on that, one of the other teachers happened to walk by my office and she saw Emmanuel sitting in there. So she just turned the door and my door, opened the door and looked in and said, Emmanuel, what are you and Mr. Kistler doing? As I'm standing here, here's what Emmanuel said. He said, yo, yeah, Miss Wood, me and Mr. Kistler, we're looking up wicked stuff in the Bible. <laughs> I said, hang on, let me correct that. We're not looking up wicked stuff. We're looking up stuff on wickedness. That's what we're looking up. Emmanuel never could get that straight. He'd say things wrong, but my point is this. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. I said to you, we played uh, football, and we did. We played public high schools in football. We had a Christian school, but we played public high schools. And I remember... Um, 
Emmanuel would go to all the games, and again, he would keep all the things ready for the coaches, water bottles and towels and stuff for the students. And we played a, a game, uh, an away game up in Santa Fe, Florida, at uh, Santa Fe High School, and uh, all the guys that went to the game and all the cheerleaders stayed overnight uh, in a hotel and came home the next day after the game was over. And Emmanuel went with them, and uh, something happened. Something happened that night in the hotel that really troubled Emmanuel. And he came back on Monday morning, and he came by my office. He said, no, Mr. Kistler, I want to talk to you about something. I said, that's great. And uh, he sat down in my office. He said, Mr. Kistler, he said, you know, we played that football game on Friday night. I said, yes, sir. Uh, I said, understand we won. He said, yeah, we did. He said, but you know, we stayed in the hotel after the game was over. And he said, there was some boys, and I'm going to say it like he said it. There was some boys in the room that I stayed in that was turning on the TV after midnight, and they were watching, the way he described it, those R-rated movies. Then he looked at me and said, Mr. Kistler, there's something not right about that, isn't there? That's not right. I said, Emmanuel, it's not right. Well, that bothered him. At the end of the year, we did, I think, what maybe we're going to do tomorrow and have some testimonies from some of you guys. But at the end of the year, we got all of our 800 and some students into the church auditorium and we let them share testimonies. And I knew we couldn't get through a testimony time without Emmanuel raising his hand and saying something. Now, I'm in the back about where you are, Miss Jane, of this 800 uh, plus student body in the auditorium. And Kids are raising their hands and the man up front would you know, recognize them and they'd share their testimony. Well, about toward the end of the testimony time, I mean, almost at the very end, I saw from the back, I could tell it was a black hand went up and I knew it had to be Emmanuel because he was the only one in our school. He lifted his hand and the man up front said, yes, Emmanuel, what would you like to say? And Emmanuel stood up and everybody loved him. They respected him. They turned and looked at him and Emmanuel said, you know, I thank God for Temple Heights Christian School. He said, I thank God for the preacher's class that Mr. Kistler started. And I thank God that I've learned how to preach. He said, I thank God for all that God's been doing in my life this year. By the way, guys, I want to tell you this. He commented on this. You know what Emmanuel would do at the halftime of the football games? He kept his pocket loaded down with gospel leaflets like we handed out today. And he would go in the opposing team's dressing room at halftime and he would pass out gospel tracts at halftime. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, they laughed at him. Yes, they did. But you know what? He didn't let that bother him. I mean, the guy was fearless. And this day that he was giving his testimony, he was very fearless. He was thanking God for all this stuff. And then he said this. He said, but there has been something bothering me though. Now, when he said that, I had a real strong suspicion of where he was going. And I was praying, oh Lord, please don't let him go fully where I think he's going to go. But he went there. He said, some of y'all know earlier in the year we played that football game at Santa Fe and we stayed overnight in a hotel. He said, there were some boys in the room I stayed in. They turned on the TV after midnight and they were watching those R-rated movies. At that point, I'm praying, oh Lord, please don't let him name their names. Oh Lord, please don't let him call the names of those guys. You know what? He didn't have to call any name. I saw about four guys sliding down in their seat like this, trying to get as far away from his sight as they possibly could. And I found out who those guys were that were in his room. Maybe he should have called out their names. Maybe he should have embarrassed them. My point is this. Emmanuel loved the Lord with all of his heart. He is the epitome of what I want to talk to you about tonight. And that is this. Being a man or a woman after the very heart of God. You know what Emmanuel's doing today? He's not pastoring a church. He loved diesel engines, and he's quite the diesel mechanic. But he is the most dedicated diesel mechanic I've ever met in my life. He talks to everybody that comes in his shop 
about the Lord Jesus Christ. He keeps those gospel leaflets on a counter in his shop. And he is absolutely unafraid of anybody or anything. I have seen guys with muscles rippling in their body that literally are coward and scared to death when it comes to handing out a gospel track. I want you to know Emmanuel Jones is far more of a man than any of those football players with the rippling muscles. He is the epitome of being a man after the very heart of God. Well, what does a man or a woman who has the heart like God heart has a heart? What is the man or woman that has that kind of heart? What do they look like? I want you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 13. And I want you to see some very, very interesting things tonight. When we're done, I trust that God will have gotten a hold of your heart and transformed you and caused you the desire to become the man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart. Look at 1 Samuel 13 and let your eyes rest on verse number 17. The Bible says, And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which He commanded thee. For now thou, thou should, now, for now should the Lord rather have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. First Samuel thirteen, excuse me, verse number fourteen. For now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. Now guys, look at me. Let me explain what's going on. God had picked a man to replace the first king of Israel. Remember how Israel wanted a king? God, give us a king. Give us a king. We want a king over us like all the other nations. God had been their leader, but they wanted a human king. So the first king of Israel is a man named Saul. And God said, he's not going to be everything you thought he was going to be. He's not going to be that great leader that you envision him to be. And boy, sure enough, Saul was not that. In fact, he intruded into the high priest's office and did a very foolish thing in 1 Samuel 13. He offered a sacrifice on the altar which was not his right to do. That was only reserved for the priest. And when Samuel comes to him and says, Why did you disobey the Lord? Why did you intrude into that office, into a place that you were not supposed to go? And here's what Samuel said, or excuse me, Saul said. He said, I feared the people. I saw the people being scattered from me and I feared the people so I forced myself, made myself do this and I offered this sacrifice. At the end of Saul saying that, Samuel says, look, God would have established your kingdom forever if you had been obedient to Him. But because you've not been obedient, the Lord is seeking a man after His very heart. God finds that man after His heart in the form of a young shepherd boy by the name of David. Now I want you to turn over to 1 Samuel chapter number 17 and I want you to look if you would please at verse number 12. 1 Samuel 17 and verse number 12 where the Bible says this, Now David was the son of that Bethlehem, that Ephrathite rather, of Bethlehem Judah whose name was Jesse. And he, Jesse, had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. So Jesse has eight sons. The youngest of them is this young man named David, the shepherd boy. There comes a time in chapter number 17 where Jesse, David's father, says, Son, what I want you to do is this. I've got some food items that I have prepared for your brothers that are fighting in Saul's army. I want you to take these food items. I want you to go down to the battlefield, deliver the food to your brothers that are fighting in Saul's army. Will you do that? Well, of course, David says, Here am I, Dad. I'll be thrilled to do that. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. 
David at the time of 1 Samuel 17, when he's asked by his dad to go deliver this food, would have probably been 16, 17, certainly not much more if he was even that old, not much more than 18 years of age. He is a teenage boy and his dad is saying, I want you to carry some things to your brothers that are fighting in an army. Do you know what's going through David's mind? He's thinking, wow, not only am I going to be able to help my brothers, I might get to see a fight break out. How many of you like watching a fight like I do? I mean, I just do. I enjoy a fight. Uh, in my country, in my state of North Carolina, uh, we, we, we have guns. I mean, we, we have recreational shooting. And I know that may not be popular here in the country of England, but, uh, but my wife knows how to shoot a gun. She has what's called a concealed carry permit. I mean, she, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Now, look, you might harm me. By the way, I have a concealed carry permit as well. You might harm me and run, and I shoot at you. I might miss. Can I tell you, my wife will take you down. I'm just telling you, she will. It's awesome. My son has a concealed carry permit. In other words, there's guys in North Carolina and ladies in North Carolina that love to shoot. They love all the things associated with conflict and conquest and all of that. And there's really nothing wrong with that. I want you to understand, as a teenage boy, David is interesting in seeing a battle. So if he's going to get to carry this to his brothers and perhaps see a battle break out, he is all over that. He is all about that. So he takes the food items, he puts them in a carriage, he tools down to the battlefield where Saul's army and his brothers are fighting this battle. He arrives, 1 Samuel 17 says, at a strategic moment just as a giant, almost 10 feet tall named Goliath, steps out from the army of the Philistines, walks halfway down into a valley that separates the Philistines' army from the Israelites' Israelites army and he issues a challenge or a taunt that he has been issuing for 40 days. The challenge or the taunt was simply this, men of Israel, there's no need in all of us shedding blood today. In fact, there's really no need in all of us even breaking a sweat today. What I propose is this. Put forth, says Goliath, your best individual warrior. Put forth your most skilled warrior. Let him meet me in the middle of the valley that separates us from you. And he and I will have hand-to-hand, -hand, one one-on-one combat. If he were to de defeat me, says Goliath, then we the Philistines would be your servants. But if I defeat him, then you guys have to be our servants. Give me a man that we may fight together. Do you remember the story? Well, David's watching all of this happen. Whenever Goliath says, give me a man that we may fight together, here's what the men of Israel do. They flee to their tents, the Bible says. They run to their tents and they hide out, scared to death, shaking in their tents. And here stands David, the shepherd boy, and he looks around and he basically asks, where, where, where did all the men folk go? Where did all the soldiers go? And there's a servant standing there and says, have you seen the size of that dude over there? I mean, look at him. Man, look at the muscles on him. I mean, he's got muscles in his fingers. When people ask direction, he flexes his fingers as he points. I mean, have you seen that dude? He is absolutely phenomenal. All the men folk are scared to death of him because he's been challenging us for 40 days. We can't find anybody to take him on. Do you know when 1 Samuel 17, David says, uh, I mean, if you can't find anybody else, uh, I'll do it. Do you remember the story? I don't know about you, I love that about David. I'll take him on. The word gets to David's brothers that their youngest brother has been willing to take on the Goliath, the giant. Now I want you to look at 1 Samuel 17 if you would please. His brothers get upset at it. And if you look in verse number 26 of 1 Samuel 17, the Bible says, And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he, David, spake unto the men, 
And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? Why did you come down here? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? See how he's demeaning David and putting him down? Who'd you leave that little flock of sheep that you take care of with? Who's taking care of them? I know the pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. In other words, what Eliab is saying, David, I know why you're here. You want to see a fight. Well, he does probably want to see a fight, but there's more to it than that. I know why you're here. It's for no other reason than to watch us take on that guy and perhaps lose. I want you to look at the next verse. Look what David says. He says, what have I now done? Is there not a... Would you say the next word out loud? Is there not a cause... Now, folks, I want you to write this down. The man or the woman after God's own heart is a person with a cause. You say, Brother Kistler, what was David's cause? What was the thing that motivated him in life? Can I tell you what it was? He has just stood there and watched about a 10-foot tall guy demean his God and criticize the armies of the living God, and that bothered David. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that bother you? When somebody demeans your God? Does it bother you when somebody takes the name of your God in vain? Or do you just roll over and die when you hear that? What I'm trying to say is this. David was exercised in his spirit. He was incensed that somebody is calling his God something other than what his God was. And he is upset about it. And his cause is defending the name and reputation of his God. And ought to hear an amen right there. Do we even care about the name of our God? Is there not a cause? What happens next is in some situations funny and in other situations very, very serious. David says, look, I'll take that big guy on. Do you know what a servant does? A servant runs over here to Saul's tent. And in essence, he says this. I'll not read it to you, but he says, King, we found a taker for the big dude. I mean, we found a challenger. Somebody has stepped up after 40 days and is willing to challenge the 10-foot-tall giant over there named Goliath. And King Saul says, bring me this warrior. I want to take a look at him. So they bring David, the shepherd boy, perhaps no more than 18 years of age, into Saul's tent. Do you know how the Bible describes David at this time in his life? The Scripture says he was with all, with all ready and of a fair countenance. The word ruddy literally means red. He was withal red. Now I used to think that meant this. He had red rosy cheeks, you know. He had red cheeks. No, the Bible doesn't say he had red cheeks. The Bible says he was withal ruddy. That means this, his skin tone, its entirety was perhaps red. He may have had red hair. Yes, I'm into that too. I mean, he is all... Yeah, there you go. Knuckles right here, all right? I mean, he is withal red which would have made him look distinctly different than all the other Jewish young men of the day who would have had dark complexion, dark hair, dark eyes. He was with all red and of a fair countenance. And you say, what does that mean? Literally in Hebrew, fair countenance means this. He hadn't begun to shave yet. Now get the picture. Here is perhaps a red-headed, red-complexioned, peached, fuzzed face kid. And they bring him into Saul's tent and they say, King, here's our man. He's going to take on the big dude. Do you know what Saul, the king of Israel, says? He says what everybody else has been thinking. 
He says, Son, thou art not able to fight him, for thou art but a youth. And son, he is a man of war from his youth. You don't stand a chance. To which David says this. Now I want you to watch your Bible. Look at chapter 17 and drop down if you would please to verse number 33. And Saul said unto David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine. Thou art not able to do that. Thou art not able to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Watch the next verse. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. In other words, what David is saying is this. King, I don't think you understand. I have been taking care of my dad's sheep. And on two different occasions, one time it was a lion, one time it was a bear, they came down and they carried off one of my dad's sheep. Now David did not do what some of us in this room would do. He did not say, well, you know what, I've got most of the sheep protected. You can have that one. He didn't do that. He says to Saul, whenever that bear and that lion carried off a sheep, I said, what do you think you're doing? Come back here. And he chased the bear and the lion down, opens the bear and lion's mouth, extracts the sheep, and then kills the lion and the bear. Can I hear an amen? That's good. He says, King, look, I killed a lion and a bear with the help of my God, and if you will let me, the big mouth dude over there will be just like one of them. Now, I don't know about you, but I like this guy, don't you? What I'm trying to help you understand is this. He's a man with a cause. But he's also a, a man of courage. Look, King, I killed a lion and I killed a bear. God helped me do that. And if God will help me with that, He'll help me take down that guy right over there. Now look, guys, this is vitally important. You're living in a world that desperately needs Christians who are courageous. You need to take a stand for your Lord Jesus Christ and do it unashamedly and be courageous in your faith. Courageous faith is what is desperately needed. You know what my dear friend Emmanuel Jones had? He had courageous faith. Courageous faith. He loved the Lord Jesus. He didn't care who knew it. The problem today is this. We run for cover. The first time somebody curls their lips up and laughs a little bit at us. In fact, while we were downtown today, I really didn't see any of this. I really didn't. I was so proud of every one of you guys. In fact, it stirred my heart. I didn't see anybody running for cover when people walked by and didn't want to take one of those gospel tracks. You guys kept singing. You kept lifting up your voices and praising the Lord. That's what's needed. Courageous Christianity. And it's needed in the United Kingdom. It's needed in my country of America. It's needed around the globe. David was a man with a cause and a man with courage. Now stay with me. King, if you'll let me, I'm going to take that big guy on and God will help me bring him down. Do you know what Saul says? He says, son, if you're going to try to take that guy on, you're going to need some protection. You're going to need some armor. Must have snapped his fingers. A couple of soldiers show up and they take Saul's armor, King Saul's armor, and they put it on David. Do you remember the story? You will also remember this, from his shoulders upward, the Bible says, King Saul was taller than all the rest of the men of Israel, which means a couple of things. Number one, his armor is not going to fit David. And number two, if he's hitting his shoulders taller than all the other men of Israel, who should be the natural choice fighting the other tall guy? The king. But see, he's hiding in his tent. 
So they put this armor from King Saul on David and it dwarfs him. David is very respectful. In fact, his exact statement is this. King, I cannot fight in this because I've never proved it. In other words, I've never waged warfare one time wearing this stuff. Get it off of me. When they get it off of David, King Saul looks at David and says, in essence, son, what are you, you going to fight him with then? You know what David does? He holds up his weapon, which was a sling. How many of you have ever actually seen a biblical sling like David would have used? Any of you ever seen one? Any of you know what a slingshot is? Okay, now that's not what David had. By the way, in our country, uh, Brother Larry, there is, a, there is a sporting goods store called Cabela's. Any of you familiar with Cabela's? Ever heard of a Cabela's? I mean, they've got anything you would want for guns, hunting, shooting, fishing. I mean, any of it. By the way, I was at a Cabela's in West Virginia. Brother Larry, they had the most amazing slingshot. I mean, literally, it was made out of steel. Had an arm brace, you know, that comes across your forearm here. You hold it here. There's two big tubes, you know, made out of rubber. There's a pouch back here. And the guy that was showing me that thing, he said, Sir, if you can find yourself a bullet, like a 38 out of a 38 weapon, and you put it in that pouch and you pull it back, you can fire a 38 slug out of this slingshot with the same velocity of it being shot out of a gun. I said, No kidding. He said, I'm not kidding. I said, How much? is one of these. When he gave me the price, you almost have to take out a second mortgage on your house to buy one of those. I mean, it was incredible. By the way, my dad used to make slingshots for my brother and I. He'd cut down a tree. He'd have a branch here and have two, two branches going off this way. He'd cut it off here, cut it off here. He'd take, you know, military string and he'd pull those split branches like this together where they formed a U. And then he'd bake that thing in an oven for about two hours. When you do that, you can take it out of the oven, take the string off, and it doesn't snap back in a Y. It stays like this. He would put rubber on that, cut a tongue out of one of our shoes. He'd say, now boys, go to the gun range. And there was a gun range near our house. Go to the place where they fire at the, at the, the dirt wall, dig some, some bullets out of the wall, and shoot them out of those slingshots. You know what? That was an awesome thing to do. I mean, it was incredible. You see what he means? Incredible. Listen, guys, I've paid for more windows than I care to tell you about that I've broken with those things. It's an incredible thing. David doesn't have that. He has not a slingshot, but a sling. A sling was two strips of leather that you would hold together between these two fingers and your thumb. There is a pouch down here that you insert your rock into. You hold the two strips of leather up here. You put the rock here, tighten up, take it up over your head, start rotating like this. Now let me say this. If you know how to use one of those, you can be deadly to your target. If you don't know how to use one of those... You can kill yourself, okay? Trust me, I have done that, got the bruises and the t-shirt for it, all right? I mean, I mean, how do you, I mean, how do you do this? How do you know when to let go of which string and hold on to the other? I mean, it is confusing. David was not confused. He knew how to use this thing. King, I'm going to take him on with this. Do you know what King Saul says to him? I love this. He says, go and the Lord be with thee. You remember? Now I used to read that and think, he's wishing a blessing on David. Go. Only he wouldn't have said it the way I said it. He's the king. He would have said it in that deep voice, you know, that kingly voice. Sort of sounds like Darth Vader on Star Wars. Go. And the Lord be with thee. Can you hear him? I love that. The Lord. 
Ever heard someone pray that way? I mean, they don't talk that way normally, but when they pray, Oh, Lord! <laughs> Can I be honest? When somebody prays different than they talk normally, I take my right hand, put it on my wallet, and hold on to it. I do. <laughs> oh, Lord! Can you hear him? Go. And the Lord be with thee. I used to think, He's wishing a blessing on David. Can I tell you, he's not. You know what he's literally saying to David? Son, if you're going to take on that with that, it's going to have to be God that's with you because we're out of here. Go, and it's going to have to be God with you because, man, you don't stand a chance. You're taking a knife to a gunfight, son. You don't stand a chance. With no more encouragement than that, the young man after God's own heart, filled with a cause, defend his God's name. A young man infused with courage. God has seen me through in the past. He's given me victory in the past. He can give me victory today over this seemingly insurmountable enemy. With no more encouragement than what King Saul's just given him, David does an amazing thing. Now stay with me. He starts from Saul's tent down into the valley that separates the Philistines' army from the Israelites' army. And he pauses. Evidently, there's a brook running through the middle of the valley. And he pauses to reach down in the brook and choose out five smooth stones. Now, let me ask you a question. He's only got one target in front of him. Why does he choose five stones? See, some people say, oh, he wasn't confident in his aim. He might miss the first four times and need that fifth rock. No, it's not that he's not confident. If you study your Bible, Goliath had at least four brothers equally as tall as him. You know what David's thinking? Let's just take the whole clan out while we're at it, shall we? I don't know about you. I like that, don't you? Five smooth stones. He pouches those and starts toward Goliath. Now, stay with me. Goliath, according to 1 Samuel chapter 17, sees David coming and he looks at David and he says this, What am I? Son, do you think I'm a dog? That you come to me with sticks and rocks? Son, I'm going to feed your carcass today to the fowls of heaven, which is exactly what he says. I want you to hear me. David doesn't take that. He doesn't roll over and die. He doesn't run for the hills. He looks Goliath back in the face and says, Excuse me, sir, you got it backwards. I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of heaven today and all the earth is going to know there's a God in Israel. I don't know about you, I love that. Now listen to me, guys. You don't just take what the world throws at you. You straighten your spine and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you take back what the world has taken from us. Can I hear an amen? Sorry, sir, I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of heaven. And all the earth is going to know that my God is the true and living God. All the earth is going to know He is God in Israel. Do you know what happens when David says that? Goliath looks at him. And the Bible says Goliath does two things. Now, please hear me out. One of the things Goliath does is this. 1 Samuel 17, the latter part of the chapter says that Goliath curses David. 
ever stood for right and had someone just curse you out? I have. I mean, just let out a tirade of curse words. Literally, Goliath curses David by his, Goliath's, false gods. Literally, curse means he called down curses. Now, again, I'm not trying to be graphic, but I want you to understand what that means. It literally means this. He looked at David and said, you blankety blank. That's exactly what it means. But before he does that, the Bible says he disdained David. Look at your Bible. I want you to see this. 1 Samuel 17. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy, red, and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? That means sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, look up at me for a minute. You understand what it means to curse. What does it mean to disdain? I used to read that and think he had an attitude of disdain. But the word here in Hebrew is not an attitude word. The word disdain is an action word. What Goliath is doing when he disdains David is committing some act against him. The question is, what is the actions that he's taking toward David? Literally, to disdain means to put down. To make small. To render insignificant. You say, Brother Dave, I don't understand what that means. Let me put it all together. Here comes a young man saying, Sir, I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of heaven today. Goliath looks at him. He's just a teenager. He's got red complexion and perhaps red hair. He hadn't even begun to shave yet. And Goliath begins to put David down. That is, he says things to him like this. You little pipsqueak, you. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Look at your little spaghetti thin arms. Look at my muscles that would make Arnold Schwarzenegger drool with envy. Who do you think you are? You're nothing but a blanket. Everybody with me? Do you know David doesn't take any of that? It doesn't affect him at all. Because he knows his God. You know the Bible says this, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And what God's looking for is young men and young women who walk with Jesus Christ and can affect culture and not let culture overrun them. That is, we need to be upstream people in a downstream world. Everybody with me? David doesn't take any of that. He just starts winding up. And at just the right revolutions per minute, he releases one of those strings while holding on the other one, and it hurls a rock right dead center in Goliath's forehead. Do you remember? Brother Larry, somebody told me years ago, the best interpretation is a sanctified imagination. So I try to put myself in the story. I can see David hurl the rock. I see, can see the rock hit him right in the middle of the head. I can see old Goliath teeter a little bit. And then finally, he falls forward and hits the ground, and the earth must have shook. Can you see Saul's servant? Can you see the guy who introduced David to Saul who didn't expect this to happen when the big guy goes down? Can you see that servant run over to Saul's tent and say, King, 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 you've got to come see this. Big guy, little guy. I mean, come on, King, you've got to see this. Now I want you to watch your Bible. Look at chapter 17. Drop down, if you would, please, to verse number 51. Now watch, this is vitally important. The person after God's own heart is a person of courage. 
a person with a cause, but a person after God's own heart also will command respect from two groups of people. Now I want you to watch your Bible. Verse 51, Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine. That is, after he hits him with the rock from his sling, he runs and stands on top of Goliath and took his sword, Goliath's sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they did what? They what? <laughs> Run the other direction. They fled. That is, David runs, stands on top of this guy, pulls the guy's sword out, severs his head, holds it up, and the Philistines go, oh my soul. Oh my goodness, our champion is down. They run the other direction. That is, David commanded respect from the enemies of God. Look at the next verse though. Look at verse number 52. He commands respect from someone else. Verse 52 says, And the men of Israel... And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. That is, these guys that have been hiding in their tents all of a sudden are emboldened themselves to take on the enemy. Hey guys, let me ask you something. Do you want to be a fellow or a girl after God's own heart? If you do, get a cause besides just you. You know what I'm talking about? See, in my country, the youth culture is its own biggest cause. It's all about what I want. It's about my enjoyment. It's about my agenda. It's about my comforts. It's about my wealth. It's about my this and my that. Listen, this life called the Christian life is not about us. Would you agree? It's about serving someone far greater than us, and His name is Jesus Christ. Get a cause. It's not you. Let the cause be the King, King Jesus. Let God infuse you with courage. And when He does, you'll command respect from the enemies of the gospel as well as God's own people. And God will use you as a leader in this day. Now with this, I'm done. When I was in high school, and of course I'm from North Carolina, Basketball may not be a big thing here in England, but basketball is huge in the United States of America. Any of you watch American basketball? It's a huge thing. In North Carolina, basketball is almost God. Everybody loves it. By the way, I played a lot of it in high school. There was a guy who came to our school in his junior year. His name was Mike Hoffman. Mike Hoffman had attended a public school for years. He was a big old burly guy, rippling muscles. He played football. I'll never forget Mike saying, man, we need to beef up some of you guys on the sports team because we all we were skinny as rails. And Mike said, all right, we're starting a wake program. My house, every other night, 7 o'clock, we're going to pump iron. Well, the first night was going to be a Monday night. We were going to work out again on a Wednesday afternoon and then work out again on a Friday night. So I drive down to Lincoln to North Carolina, and Mike had said, you drive around the back of the house, there'll be a door open, there'll be a light on. That's my gym. He said, get down there, and we're going to pump iron. Well, I remember getting out of my car walking around the house and I heard all these weird noises. No kidding. Weird noises coming out of that room with the light on. I mean stuff like this. Ah! 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 
and I walked in, and Brother Curtis, there was Mike underneath the bench press with about 320 pounds on it, and he's going, any of you ever seen guys do that when they work out? And I walked in, he saw me, he dropped the weight on the rack, he said, okay man, it's your turn. I said, That's, I, can't, I, can't even, I can't even lift that in my dreams, much less do it in reality. I said, if I tried that, I'd, I'd have a chest like a pirate's treasure sunken. I mean, I, I can't do that. You're going to have to peel weight off. So he starts pulling plates off the other side. I start pulling plates off of this side. We get down to the bar, the bar, which weighed 45 pounds, and two little puny plates on each end, one over there and one over there. I said, I think I can do that. So I slide up underneath it, and he's looking at me behind me, coaching me. He said, now, Dave, when you get it off the rack, you bring it down and right back up, down and right back up. Don't stop down here. Down, if you have to bounce it off your chest, get it right back up, okay? And he's giving me all these instructions. I said, okay, Mike, I think I got it. Now, I don't know how much this was, maybe 95 pounds. I lifted it off. My little spaghetti arms are doing this. He'd said, down and up, down and up. So I go, okay. And he'd been doing it, so I thought, I'll do it. I went, ah! <laughs> and you know what? It stuck right there. I'm going, ah! <laughs> and it wasn't going to move. You know what my buddy Mike did? He's standing there behind me as my spotter. They always say I have a spotter. He's standing behind me just looking at me. And then all of a sudden, he went berserk. He started doing this. Push! Push! Do you know that 95 pounds went from here all the way up here like that? He grabbed it, set it down on the rack, and he said, man, you got it. You got it. I said, well, of course I got it. You scared me half to death, man. Of course I got it. You know what Mike did? He continued working with us. Got us bulked up physically. But what Mike did... For the fellows in our school spiritually was way more important. Do you know Mike didn't fear anybody or anything? He loved Jesus Christ with all of his heart. When you were out in public, you'd better be prepared for him to speak a word of witness to anybody. And if you were easily embarrassed, don't be with Mike. Now, he was never unkind. He was never belligerent. He just loved Jesus and he would share the gospel, hand out those gospel leaflets. He was fearless. Do you know what he would do on Monday? He'd say, Dave, did you have a date on Friday night? Well, yes, Mike, I did. He said, did you do right? Look at me, Dave, he'd say. Did you do right? Did you? And boy, I was glad I'd done right. Because I was afraid that big fist would come across my chin if I hadn't. Bottom line is this. He would ask me, hold me accountable. Why? Because like my friend Emmanuel Jones, like David himself, Mike is a man after. He's pastoring a church today in Tennessee and has been for years. God's using him in a mighty way. A person after God's own heart is a person with a cause, with incredible courage, and a person who commands respect. I don't know about you, the Curtis, more than I want to breathe. And trust me, I want to breathe. More than I want to breathe, guys. I want to be a man after God's own heart. Now, I want to ask you to do something for me. 
would you pray for me? In addition to preaching all over our country, I have a ministry, as I've referred to earlier, in Washington, D.C. And I have the chance to rub elbows and minister to elected officials on Capitol Hill. Can I tell you, I'm made out of the same stuff you are. Brother Dave, do you ever get fearful of things? Do you ever worry about what somebody's going to think about you? Can I say, yes, those thoughts run through my mind, especially when I'm on Capitol Hill. What will they, because you know, they are all of these high-powered politicians. Bottom line is this. I don't want to be unkind, but I do want to tell them the truth. By the way, March 11, I will stand in a legislative building and I will have the opportunity to declare the Word of God to the members of the House in the state of North Carolina. Would you pray for me that I'll be gracious, that I'll be kind, but that I'll tell them the truth as a man after God's own heart. Everybody with me? I'm praying the same thing for you guys. Jesus needs men and women after His very heart. And He needs them. Father, I pray. I pray, oh God, that you would work. Lord, work in my heart and my life. And Lord, work deeply in the hearts and lives of these incredible young men and young women. Father, I pray we'd cease living for ourselves and would begin desiring to live for you and be men and women after your very heart. And Father, for what you do will give you great glory and praise. Now guys, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want to ask you a question. In fact, a couple of questions. Question number one. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Now before you just throw your hand up, hear me out. Has there been a time in your life, young lady, young man, has there been a time in your life when you understood you were a sinner? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That doesn't just mean your neighbor. That doesn't just mean your friend. That means you. That means me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Have you really understood that? Man, I'm a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. By the way, death there is not just physical death. Though physical death is part of the process. The death here is an eternal death. A separation from God forever in a literal place called hell. The wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Have you understood you were a sinner on your way to hell itself? But you also understood the good news. Jesus loves me. He died on an old rugged cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He did all of that to forgive my sin. Have you understood that? And have you on purpose, deliberately, on purpose, asked Jesus to forgive your sin, come into your heart and life and save you? Have you done that? 
If you have, would you be willing to do this? Don't look to see what someone else does. If you've asked Jesus to forgive and save you and you know that you're forgiven, you know you've been saved, you know you're going to heaven when you die. If you know that's true, would you lift your hand, just hold it as high as you can. Yes, Dave, I know, I know that I've been saved. Hold it up as high as you can. Don't be ashamed. Thank you. God bless you. You may put your hand down. What a beautiful sea of hands. Here's my second question. Not every hand could go up to the first one. Not everybody in this room knows that they're going to heaven. So may I ask this? Are you not concerned about your own eternal future? Are you not concerned about where you're going to spend eternity? The life after this life. It'll be spent in heaven or hell depending on what you've done with Jesus. If you keep rejecting Him, dear friend, you will end up in that Christless eternity of hell forever. What I'm trying to get at is this. Is there anyone in the room that would be willing to say, Dave, I don't yet know for sure that I'm going to heaven, but trust me, I am very concerned about that and you need to be. I'm concerned about it, Dave, and I'm concerned enough that I'd like to ask you to pray for me. Friend, I'd love nothing more than to have the privilege of praying for you, praying that it, before it's too late, you'll come to Jesus and be saved. Is there anyone in the room that right now would say, Dave, you're talking to me. I couldn't raise my hand to the first question. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I'm concerned about my eternal future and I'd like you, Dave, to pray for me. I'm not going to use your name in my prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you in that way. I would never do that. But I would like to anonymously pray for you that before it's too late, you'll come to Jesus. Is there anyone in the room that would be willing right now to lift your hand? And by doing that, all you're saying is pray for me, Dave. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want you to pray for me. Anyone like that, you'd lift your hand right now. Thank you. God bless you. Are there others? Dave, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, for those in this room that do not yet know for sure that you're their Savior. Father, I would pray that you would speak clearly to their heart.